0: Uh, let me invite you uh, to take your Bibles or one of our pew Bibles, turn to the Gospel of John as we continue our series, Come and See. Uh, now last Sunday night, I made this bold declaration that we would finish chapter 1 today. And I fully had that intent, because uh, really all of this last section are tied together under kind of the same main idea. But when I really sat down Monday and started doing a deep dive, uh, into, uh, you know, verse 35 to 42, I want to tell you something. There is some meat and potatoes in this passage. Uh, and I, I've told you before, John, John does a really good job of writing in what seems to be very simplistic terms, very simplistic language, very, you know, very literal things. But the depth of meaning in the words he chooses is deeper than any ocean on this planet. And so we're going to we're going to dive in uh to to this passage a little bit today, and I'm really, really excited at what we're going to see. Because really ultimately, through the first the end thirty five to the end of the chapter, we're going to see endorsements. Uh we're going to see four guys make endorsements uh, about Jesus. Today we're going to look at two of those guys, uh one really in depth. Uh, and now think about an endorsement. Yeah, how many of you have been up late at night, not been able to sleep, and you see these knives, right? You know the infomercials, and they're the greatest knives ever. They can cut through tin cans. Anybody ever seen those? They'll slice a tomato. They'll, a tomato. They'll <laughs> drop a piece. Anybody ever bought one of those knives? Oh, please. <laughs> Okay, well, I thought the endorsement was good. And I can honestly say, I got it. It did not cut that soda can. Yeah, but it not like they did. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, I mean, endorsements. You know, and we are inundated with commercials. Now, uh, the generation we have before us will never understand the great joy it was of making it to the kitchen. To get a drink and back before our favorite TV program came back from the commercials. Because we have streaming and we don't really know much about commercials. But we see commercials. We see celebrities endorsing vehicles. I'm sorry. They're not driving a Ford Fusion. They got trillions of dollars. Okay. But they're like, oh, it's the greatest car ever. I did hear Larry the Cable Guy say, y'all know who that is, right? I did hear him say one time that he did those Nutra system commercials. And he got fired because it didn't work. <laughs> he didn't lose any weight. You know, so we see these endorsements. But if somebody comes up to me, a friend, a really good friend of mine, and says, you got to go try this restaurant. It's the best food you'll ever eat. I'm really likely to go. Uh, even if they say it's, it, it's a hole in the wall. It looks bad, but it's got great food. Now see, I would never go to that without an endorsement. But if a friend told me, and I'm thinking of a very specific place in Albemarle. <laughs> it's, uh, what's the name of it? The Goody Shop. I wouldn't, I'm a little bit of a food snob. I would never have gone to that if I wasn't endorsed. But I going to tell you, they got good food. Fantastic food. When a friend endorses a product, someone we know, someone we trust, we're more likely to, to accept that endorsement. Well, that's what we're going to see today. The endorsement of who Jesus is and uh and really kind of the main thing that i want us to get is is what i want us to see today is that when we see jesus ourselves for who he really is when we come to an understanding of who jesus is and what jesus can do and will do and is doing then that's going to change our life forever and we're getting the very early stages of jesus's ministry we are seeing the the days, the very first days that he is starting to go public. I, I meant to do this last week, and I really didn't. Uh, the timeline of John is, is unique. Uh, it, it's not quite like the timeline of any of the other Gospels. And so just so you're understanding where we're at, is we saw that encounter, right? G, uh, John the Baptist talks to the religious leaders. Saw that several weeks ago. Then last week we talked about the proclamation, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is standing there, he sees Jesus, he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, when did that take place in the timeline? Well, you can read into it because he knew Jesus was the Lamb of God, because he had seen the Spirit descend like a dove onto Jesus. That would have been at the baptism of Jesus. So we have John the Baptist has baptized Jesus. Jesus has already been into the wilderness for the 40 days of temptation. Then he's coming back out of the wilderness. And John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God. And so then John, the author of the book, gives us the very first days of his earthly ministry, of the public ministry of Jesus. And this is going to become important as we go through this. Day one, John the Baptist encounters the religious leaders. Day two... John says, here comes the Lamb of God. Day three is what we're going to talk about today. John is with two of his disciples. Again, he sees Jesus and proclaims, this is the Lamb of God. So that's where we pick up our story in verse 35. Read with me John chapter 1. The next day, day three, John was there again with his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look. I mean, he would have shouted, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? What do you desire? What are you searching for? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, and you will see. So they went. They saw where he was staying. They spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Maybe ten in the morning, but probably four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of those two disciples who had heard John say, uh, this is the Lamb of God, and who decided to follow Jesus. Verse 41. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Let's pray together. Father, this morning as we come to your word, we ask that what we have not you would give us. What we know not, you would teach us. And what we are not, you would make us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The first truth that we see, uh, which is the bulk of our text, is that by following Jesus, they found the Messiah. By following Jesus, they found the Messiah. What we see twice in this passage and what we'll see uh, next week is there is a pattern. There are steps that are taken as we make the decision to follow Jesus. The first one is a presentation of the gospel. John the Baptist had boldly said, there is the Lamb of God. That is the move of God in the heart of John the Baptist to proclaim that truth. Uh, And by the way, he, he said it a couple times, hasn't he? The disciples have probably heard this, that, hey, this is the Lamb of God. This is the Messiah. Jesus is the one. And at least in the text we have, it took him at least the second time to make the decision to start following him. And so we have a presentation of truth. We have a presentation of the gospel. The second step is there is an initial response. Listen, everybody has an initial response to the gospel. Some people outright, their initial response, they're going to reject it. They're going to hear it. They're going to brush it off. They're not going to want to listen to it anymore. They're just going to say, reject it. Now, you, they may come back later and, and learn more, but that's an initial response. Some people have an initial response of, they make the decision right then to follow Jesus, that they're all in, they're surrendering their life. But in my experience, and what I think we see here, is a third initial response, is they just want to know more. They've heard the gospel, and God is working in their hearts, but they want to know more. They want to find out who... I mean, John the Baptist says it's the Lamb of God. That's a really good and powerful endorsement. But we need to go meet him. We need to go find out for ourselves. The third step in this process is a decision to believe and follow. So after that initial response, there comes a time when we just say, I'm all in. And the fourth thing is they go and tell. So we've got Andrew. Now, there's two disciples Pretty confident to say the second one is John, the author of the book. So we've got Andrew and John. They've heard John the Baptist say, this is the Lamb of God. So they just start following Jesus. Now this is where it's going to get good. You don't want to miss it. Now they're just following. They're like stalking Jesus. That's kind of what they are. Uh, this, I mean, that word can be used to describe a disciple. But I think right here, they're just curious. you know, hiding behind lamp posts, just like, you know Yeah. Uh, by the way, I was in Walmart many, many years ago in Albemarle. The recently fired defensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers was in that Walmart because he had a lake house at Baden. I picture this is what's going on. I'm like walking by him, following him around the store until a Walmart employee told me to stop. Okay, so I just I was like, man, I thought he was a really good DC. And I was like, this this guy's famous. Jesus is the Lamb of God. They're following him around. They're learning. They're listening to him. They're watching him interact. And they're like, well, if he's the Lamb of God, what does that look like? And then the greatest thing, I think, in all of history happens. And th- this one word is why I had to stop with these verses. Jesus turned around. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, if somebody's stalking me, I'm going to turn around too. Right? But that's that's not what's going on. Jesus noticed them. Jesus, the Lamb of God, turned around and spoke to them. For the very first time in the gospel, Jesus speaks. He asks them a question. He's like, what are you doing? What do you want? What are you looking for? And we'll get to that in a minute. But Jesus never turns away people. He could have kept walking and be like, well, I know I got these two yahoos following me. They're nobodies. They're fishermen. They're not the elites. They flunked out of the Ph.D. program. I don't want them. They're 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 just they're just little guys. I'm the Lamb of God, but he doesn't do that. Jesus never turns away from people. He saw them, he turned around, and he spoke to them. He engaged with them. Notice he does not call them to be their his disciples at this time. He just engages with them. Listen, Jesus will never turn away from you. You might be at a place in your spiritual walk where you haven't made the decision to surrender at all, and you're still checking Jesus out, you're still looking, and, and you're still learning. You need to understand something. Jesus is not going to turn away from you if you have questions. Jesus is not going to say, well, that's a dumb question. I don't want to answer it. And by the way, Christians, that's our job is to help people learn about Jesus. When somebody asks us a question, it's not a silly question. When somebody is truly searching for Jesus and searching for answers, we don't turn our backs because Jesus doesn't turn his back on anybody. But this word has such deeper meaning than even that. John picks a very specific verb for turned. In fact, the Hebrew comparison to this word, uh, the word translated into Hebrew is a word used throughout the Gospels. Uh, it's always connected, or most of the time, connected to Jesus. And when we see this word in the other Gospels, it's always Jesus has made a sudden or remarkable change of attitude, and then it's going to be followed up with a surprise, powerful, unexpected saying. Okay, so that's kind of how Jesus uses the word. But the Hebrew verb is the same verb that is used throughout the Old Testament As the Israel, as the Israelites, as the Hebrew people are crying out to God, when will you save us? When will you turn to us? When will you return to us? It is seen in Psalm 90 verse 13. Turn, O Lord. And then a question. How long must we wait for you to turn to your people? The prophet Zechariah, as he begins to set up his program for rebuilding the community, Again, Zechariah is roughly the time of uh, those Israelites returning from Babylon a little bit earlier than Nehemiah, as we looked at uh, about a year and a half ago. But Zechariah the prophet says, return to me, or turn to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and then I will turn to you. The great post-exilic prophet Malachi says this, ever since the days of your ancestors, you have turned aside from my statutes you have not kept them return to me and I will return or turn to you says the Lord of hosts and then there's a question how shall we return don't miss the connection to the Old Testament you have two Jewish people who because of the proclamation this is the Lamb of God have turned to Jesus they have returned to To the one who came to dwell among them. Fully God. Fully human. God is in the flesh. Two Israelite people have turned to Jesus. And Jesus turns to them. How long shall we wait? How should we return? By following Jesus. God sent the pre-existent word to become human. To dwell among the people. So these prophecies would be fulfilled. So in this moment of just three people, two disciples and Jesus, the people have turned to God and God has turned to them. It is a beautiful picture of two extremely complicated doctrines. What you see is the sovereignty of God working through the presentation of the gospel. And you see a free will decision. A lot of people will tell you that these are competing views. That the sovereignty of God and free will, they cannot coexist. But they don't compete with each other. They complement each other. I have no idea how the idea of election and God's sovereignty and human free will works together. But they do. And it's very clearly seen in this passage. God moved first. They responded. God responded. Jesus responded. Jesus turns to the people, or turns to them, and then he asked the question, what are you looking for? What are they looking for? When you come to church, what are you looking for? Good music? Entertainment? The pastor making fun of, him, fun of himself one way or another? I do that about every week. What are you looking for? He's asking a pretty deep question, Because you're going to read, when we get to John chapter 6, maybe by 2025, you know John chapter 6, we're going to see a lot of people following Jesus. Lots of people following Jesus. And one morning, they're going to want breakfast from Jesus. And Jesus is going to give them spiritual food, and they're going to say, we don't want none of the spiritual stuff, we're out of here. Why are you following Jesus? What are you looking for? Are you looking for assurance that you're okay? Are you looking for assurance that all these good works you've done are going to get you into heaven? Are you looking for, are, are they looking for authority or a powerful leader that they can follow? Are they looking just to jump around from John the Baptist who's on his way out to Jesus who's on his way up? They could have been looking just for the excitement of a political leader. They could have been hoping for an escape from just the drudgery, boring lives of fishermen. They could have been seeking personal affirmation. They could have been seeking a mystical, religious experience. So Jesus says, what are you looking for? Acceptance? Position? Influence? Excitement? Escape? Love? Security? What are you looking for? Now these disciples don't really understand the depth of the question. But the answer is powerful. They're like, we just want to know where you're staying. We just want to know where you're, where you're going to sleep tonight. That makes sense. They've been following him for a while. First step of discipleship. They just want to spend time with Jesus. They're just looking to talk to Jesus. Now, we don't know what happens. It's about four o'clock in the afternoon. It's about supper time. The evening's coming. I have this beautiful picture in my mind that they're going to go to a house. Maybe one of friends of Jesus. They're going to recline at a table. They're going to eat a meal together. They're going to have some, they're, they're going to drink some beverages together. And these two guys are just gonna ask questions. And Jesus is just gonna recline and talk to them and love them and answer those. We don't know what they ask, we don't know what they say. But I, you know, if you've ever been camping or sitting around a bonfire or or, or when the fall gets here, you're roasting marshmallows, you know, these people just sit around these fires and talk. Talk about life, talk about experiences, talk about the future. Whatever it is, Jesus just pours into these two guys. So much so that the next day, or at some point after the conversation, Andrew says, hey, we found the Messiah. We found him. We spent all night talking to this guy. We found him. He's the one. He's the Savior. He's the guy that's going to forgive us of our sins. He's the one we've been waiting for for 400 years. He's the one the prophets talked about. Jesus is the Christ. He's it. He's it. And the first thing that Peter does, or the first thing that Andrew does is he goes and tells his brother Peter, let me ask you this, how many people have you told about Jesus? How many people have you gone up to and said, hey, (laughs) this Jesus guy, he's the Messiah. I found him. I've been following, I've been searching, I've been reading the Bible, I've been talking to Christians, I've been loved on by Christians, I've been loved on by the Word of God. I found the Messiah. You need to check him out. So we see this pattern starting over again, don't we? Presentation of the gospel from Andrew to his brother Simon. Initial response, Peter, now understand the timeline. This will be the very first time Peter meets Jesus. The initial response of Peter is, I'll go check him out. He might, the word actually makes it sound like Andrew drug him there, right? Andrew brought him. To Jesus. Andrew is so excited. He's like, I'm going to take my brother, my flesh, my blood, my partner in the fishing business. He's going to meet Jesus. This is the first time Jesus meets Peter. So we have presentation of the gospel. And we have an initial response. Now listen very closely. In Matthew chapter 4, we get this picture of Jesus teaching. On the Sea of Galilee. Remember this? Peter has fished all night long. And they're over there picking nasty stuff out of their nets. And Jesus says, you know, a lot of people here, I need to teach these people. I need you to push this boat out to the water. And Peter does that. And Jesus teaches from the boat. And then Jesus says, you need to cast your net on this side of the boat. They bring in more fish than they could have ever caught. Remember this story? And what does Jesus say? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Amen. And the Bible says that Peter immediately followed. Now pastors, including this one, at sometimes have preached that passage by saying, well, Peter didn't really know Jesus. Jesus just showed up on the scene and he said, I'm gone. That's not what happened. Peter met Jesus on the third day of his ministry. Because Andrew took him there. Peter has learned from Jesus. Peter has heard Jesus talk. And so in Matthew chapter 4, we have the third step where Peter says, I believe you're the Messiah and I will follow you. There's not a contradiction with these stories. It's just a different perspective and a different time. Listen, it's okay to ask questions about who Jesus is. All we see here with this first meeting, and this is kind of the second truth we get from the passage, is Jesus meets Simon Peter, Peter, and he says, you're Simon, son of John. I'm going to call you Peter. It's a little nickname, right? He changes his name, gives him a little nickname. Nicknames are powerful. There was a sports writer in Michigan who saw a high school basketball player play really good basketball do some majestic things on the basketball court and he wrote about it and magic johnson was born the nickname a little bit of history for you queen mary the first of england was known for burning religious leaders at the stake they nicknamed her bloody mary nicknames are powerful you know what my nickname was I've had several. Uh, Which one should I give? I'll give you this one. Because this was the one I actually, this was me. This is who all of my, like, ten years, every youth who came through my youth ministry, I was not Trent. I was the fat man. That was it. That was my name. In fact, there are videos somewhere of a buddy of mine. His nickname was Captain Mantastic. He was a wrestling fan. There are videos of Fat Man versus Captain Mantastic all over the internet. <laughs> Usually, it consists of him spearing me into a lake, into a pool, into an inflatable. Those were our nicknames. Nicknames communicate pretty accurate, right? The Fat Man. Pretty accurate nickname, but what I want to see: Jesus gives Peter a or gives Simon a nickname. He says, "You know, I know Simon. I, I know who you are. I know everything, and I know that eh, Simon, you're really." an emotionally unstable guy? Peter was. He goes, Simon, I I know that, uh, I know you're kind of impulsive. I know that the mood that you have travels by roller coaster. Sometimes you're in a good mood, bad mood. You can read the Gospels about Peter to understand these things. And he looks at Jesus, Peter, I know that you're not the brightest light bulb in the pack, but you're going to be Peter. The rock, which I will build my church on. You will be the leader of this group. You see, Jesus saw him, not for who he was in that moment. I mean, of course he saw his sins and he knew them. But Jesus saw what he would become if he followed. Jesus sees exactly what you will become if you say yes to him. And Jesus knows that if you will surrender your life to Him, He will make you exactly who you're going to be. Instead of that bumbling idiot like Peter, he becomes the rock, preaches the very first sermon of Acts, and 3,000 people are saved. This guy. Because he followed closely behind Jesus, and he let Jesus shape him, mold him, And make him into into who Jesus called him to be. And so when Peter and Andrew and John in this passage, they say, we're going to follow Jesus. We believe he's the Messiah. We believe he's the Savior. We're going to follow. Do you know what that means? When rabbis in the first century had disciples, there was a saying. They said the disciples should have the dust of the rabbis' feet on their clothes. I'll say it again. The disciples of a rabbi should have the dust of the rabbi's shoes on their clothes, which means they should walk so closely to the teacher that the dust he kicks up should be all over their clothes. That's how you follow Jesus when you when you understand that he is the Messiah, he is the Savior of the world. So when you understand who Jesus really is, he'll change your life forever. He'll take you from where you are today, and He'll lead you exactly where He wants you tomorrow. He'll take you as you are, just a baby Christian, drinking milk, to a meat eater, like the writer of Hebrews says. He may be saying, there might be a youth or a teenager who, like, Jesus looks at you and says, you're going to be a missionary the Ukrainian people, to the Russian people, to the Afghan people. You're going to be a missionary to the African people. I know that you don't want to go. I know that you don't know have any idea how to go, but you're going to follow so closely behind me that I'm going to make you a great missionary to the people that I've called you to go to. He can see you in this room and he says, "You have a place that you work at, and there it is filled with non-Christians. And if you follow me, I'm going to make you a missionary to your place of work." He said, I know you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. There's going to be some really hard questions you might not be able to answer. You just follow me and I will make you into the person that I want you to be. might be calling some to be a pastor. When he called me to be a pastor, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't know how to be a pastor. I still don't know how to be a pastor. But I'm learning from the Savior. And I'm following closely behind Him. What he does or what he says do, that's what I try to do each and every day. When you surrender to who, when you understand who Jesus really is, he will change your life forever. And today, if this is the first time you've ever heard about this Savior, your initial response might be, I have more questions. That's okay. I will answer them. Deacons will answer them. Sunday school teachers will answer them. People sitting around you will answer them but some of you have heard the gospel more than once over and over and over and you're like, today's the day that I'm ready to believe and surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And if that's you today, I want to invite you to come and just say, Jesus, I surrender. I'll be here to pray with you. Maybe you've made that decision and you're ready to take the next step to baptism. And maybe the next step for you is telling somebody Go and tell. I have found the Messiah. I have found the Messiah. By following Jesus, you find the Messiah. By following the Messiah, He will change your life forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this Word, for the endorsement of John the Baptist, for the endorsement coming from Andrew, And for the endorsements that we'll see next week. Father I pray that the word would be a transformative word in our hearts and our lives. Help us to follow you so closely. That the dust from your sandals would be all over us. Help us to love people and not to turn our back on people as you have set the example for us. And Father, we pray for those who've never made a decision to surrender their life. May today or this week be the time that they accept you, follow you, and that you change their life forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.